Welcome to the Faith Driven Entrepreneur Podcast. If you're an entrepreneur and you're driven by your faith or want to be driven by your faith, then you're in the right place. This is a podcast brought to you by Faith Driven Entrepreneur. You can check us out at faithdrivenentrepreneur.org. This podcast doesn't exist without you, our community. Please send us any questions, any thoughts you have about how this podcast might better serve you, and any thoughts about or questions on being a faith-driven entrepreneur. So we're here live at Duarte, and we're here with Nancy, and we've actually got Mark in the room as well, and this is a special, special time for us all. And, and I've been looking forward to this a lot. I learned about your story together and the success that God has done through the business when I met you at Praxis. Mm-hmm. And so I've been looking forward to getting your story down on tape and sharing it with other people. And just how God and the Holy Spirit have worked through your business mm-hmm. and how you've leaned on Him as your business has scaled. One of the things that's so cool is that you guys are the very best in the world at what you do, helping people tell their story. Mm-hmm. And so I'd like for you to tell a little bit about your story through this and hopeful to find uh, some aspects of what you've learned together as you've looked at God and Jesus as your CEO mm-hmm. in a way that might be an encouragement for others that are trying to understand how do I articulate my faith? Mm-hmm. How do I love on other people? When do I look to rely on God? When do I need to do it on my own? And I think you've thought through that really well. So it's a great honor and privilege and blessing for us to be here with you. And so thank you for your time. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So tell us a bit about your story. And let's freeform it a bit. Just some of the background. And I've got some questions. I've heard some stories that you've shared on other podcasts. So I'll ask you some things about when things have been hard and how you process that. And our listeners love stories. And you help people to tell their stories. (laughs) So let's start with yours. Um, well, there's the company story. There's my story. Um, uh, people don't realize that Mark actually started the business. We left a tiny church up in Northern California in Chico. Uh, Mark was in the ministry. I was a preacher's wife. Didn't go so well for me as a preacher's wife. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we came down here because we wanted to reinvent how church was done. We came down here to go to Bible college and started a business mm-hmm. instead because we wanted to create a community where everyone loved accepted men believed in each other and that mm-hmm. actually manifested itself as a business yeah. instead of um, as a church which is interesting to me so a lot of the uh, ways we treat each other the values all based in biblical principles yet we didn't become a church and most people here <laughs> don't consider this a church but we do very beautiful things in service of bonding and creating acceptance and love one of our promises is belong and we want to create a place where people feel they belong and they can be committed to so um, my body of work um, is based in my own kind of tragic childhood of Mm -hmm. being raised in a economically and emotionally starved environment and my mom was a narcissist so narcissists Mm -hmm. are missing the empathy gene I know that now historically but as a small child when you long to hear words from your mom that you'll never hear she doesn't even know you're there doesn't even speak to you. It became my life's work to kind of claw at common understanding, senses of belonging, accepting each other even though you're different. And so all my books, all my body of work is actually my own personal quest to understand empathy and hopefully fill that void in someone else that was a very large hole in my own life as a kid. So. Yeah. So how does that manifest itself in helping people to tell stories? How does storytelling and maybe story listening help with <laughs> yeah. empathy? Yeah, if you know the person you're speaking with and you tell the right story in the right season, 
A personal story told with great conviction is the best persuasive device on the planet. So if you look at uh, Jesus and the parables and the Proverbs, 2,000 years of little micro-stories have completely changed society. As we know, it was all story-based, yeah. almost everything he said. So I think if you apply it in a way that gives the person the right emotional fuel for them yeah. to keep going, or the right emotional fuel to change beliefs and behavior, a story is about the only thing that can do that on the planet. So the scripture in Revelations, it says, they will overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. I've asked two theologians, <laughs> does the word of their testimony, what does that mean? And they say storytelling. Mm. So if you tell a story and it hits me, like I was just hiking with my niece this weekend and she just told me this, just five short personal stories and they've haunted me all week mm. to where I was like, you know, I need to deal with that same thing in my own life. Like and we're texting back and forth. My niece, this young wee pup, 24, 25 years yeah. old, is speaking in ways that's transforming my heart four days later. It's sitting with me. Yes. So, yeah. And that's the power of a story. It rests with you and transforms you. It's really fascinating. My family is a, a bit of a storytelling family as well, and it drives my wife a little batty sometimes. Yeah. You get about a 10-minute answer when you ask my dad, hey, how'd the drive go today? It's a long story. Uh, he actually <laughs> he actually had me, for the better part of 10 years, when I got home from school, I had to stand behind one of those old TV trays, yeah. and I had to give a speech about That's my day. Awesome. And it was 10 minutes timed, and I had to literally go through my whole day as if I was presenting to an audience. I love your dad. And he's an amazing person. And so That's storytelling awesome. is huge in my family. <laughs> we may or may not do that case right now. So when I do it, I make him do it for five minutes. I'm say, well, Mr. Norrell had to do it for 10 minutes. That's, that's a great way. I'm happy to testify to that. And so as I think of stories, you mentioned the parables and things like that. I'm really interested as a storyteller. I know this may be a hard question. What is your favorite story from the Bible? Oh, my favorite story. So, uh, you know, the NIV translation, mm -hmm. my husband calls that the Nancy interpretive version. So oh, what I say good. may or may not be biblically <laughs> accurate. What's my favorite one? Wow. I do tend to cling to some of the Old Testament ones. Probably Nehemiah, because I think that one is a metaphor for my life. So we're a deadline-oriented business, and Nehemiah mm -hmm. needed to build that wall in 52 days very quickly. And that was impossible. Yeah. It was impossible. And when Nehemiah built the wall, he had a trowel or a shovel, or a hammer, something. They don't know exactly what it was, in one hand, and a sword in the other. And so when I build a strategy, the Lord always gives me an offensive move, build, and a defensive move, protect. And so that's become like a metaphor, and we've been studying it lately because Mark had a revelation that I'd had some people in my life that were like sand ballot. And in mm. the story, Sam Ballot did everything he could to make sure the wall didn't get built, make sure it didn't get built in time. And so the mm. Lord gave me permission to actually release people at the company that were Sam Ballots in this effort because he's calling us to new things and greater things and more agile things. And so that was a good example that whole story is a metaphor for me that I use for strategic planning, that I use for staffing. I use it for my own mind always. Like if it's an offensive move, there's always a defensive layer to it. I don't even know how to explain why it's like a dichotomy of yeah. conflict, but always every single strategy has offensive and defensive moves. And, and that's my metaphor for it. And then the other one I think that's beautiful is that during the battle, when Moses's arms were held up, they won the battle when his yeah. arms fell they would lose the battle. So I've really learned how to surround myself with people in my life that'll hold my arms up. Hmm. Now, if I had yeah. to do it in my own strength, my arms would be down and the battle would be lost. Well, who's the more powerful person in that case? 
they're equal in power, right? The one's holding up my arms and the one whose arms are being held up. Yeah. So it's a humbling Amen. thing to be winning a battle when people like my husband have stood aside me and held up my arms so we could win, right? Yeah. So it's a real interdependencies of those who strengthen your faith and give you the strength in battle. So how do you process your story and the story of the business with a workforce that presumably, largely, by and large, doesn't always share your faith? Yeah. We met with somebody who did, but I think a good number of people don't. Mm -hmm. How do you weave that in? Yeah, so our origin story, we tell everyone our origin story, which is pretty much what I led this with, which yeah. is we thought we'd go and become preachers, and guess what? We started the <laughs> business instead, yeah. but that we wanted it to be different. Because one of the things that kind of ruffled us up out of our little nest there, even though we both felt like we would go to Bible college, was a board meeting at the church that Mark was on, and somebody had petitioned that they get Mark air conditioning. Well, the sun sets and she go on the west side of his office, get to 120 degrees, and <laughs> so air conditioning sounds like, you know, not a luxury, but a necessity. And one of the board members said, He's Mexican, get him a sombrero. Ooh. And we thought, wow, this isn't the way people or even humans should treat each other. And so it ruffled us up. I know not all churches are that way. I know not all board members are that way. Sure. But it was enough for us to say, we kind of saw the ugly underbelly of this thing called church, and it wasn't appealing to us, but we wanted to stay committed to God. This, what I'm telling you, is what we tell our employees in their employee briefing. We tell this whole story. We came down here. Yeah. We wanted to create an atmosphere that was beautiful and winsome where people could feel they belonged, even though we don't even always align. And that's the story we tell. So for about 26 years, every Monday morning, even when it was just Mark and myself, we always started every Monday morning with a prayer, um, a company-wide prayer. And about 26 years in, one of the employees, which we knew would happen one day, said, hey, do you know the law says that if someone asks you to stop praying and it's a mandatory meeting, you have to stop. And even though they never said, and so therefore stop, we just chose to stop. Mm -hmm. um, and then we did a really beautiful thing. We, we told the employees goodbye on a video. Mark said the prayer uh, a last time. But you had to choose and opt in to go see the prayer, yeah. right? Because it was really a kind of a closing ceremony to a season. And there was people who hated it. But now a lot of people look back and say, ever since that moment when Mark stopped publicly praying, we've been through kind of tumultuous times. Hmm. Some of it caused by our own selves. Some of it caused by Mark and my own quest to try to figure out what's next for us as entrepreneurs. But what we did is the scriptures say, pray in secret anyway. So yeah. we started to pray in secret. Yeah. And we started to see things happen in ways that were so glorious. You'll pray at like Christmas parties or stuff like that. Yeah. But now it's in secret and people will come by. And like this new gal came by and said, what just happened in here? Because I can feel something's different. I said, oh, we say prayers every Tuesday, Thursday. She goes, I could tell that this place just feels different. Will hmm. you pray for me? Like just like that. We uh -huh. pray for my marriage. I'm having a hard time. So we pray. So uh -huh. it's like people will come by and pull from us and long to have what we have. They don't know how to make yeah. it or identify it. Yeah. But Mark, this one time recently, he's like, we just pray. And we got to pray this only every once in a while because sure enough, chaos breaks out. <laughs> we pray that the deceivers be exposed. Like it was just like, expose all the deception and the yeah. deceit, right? All the stuff bubbles up. And we found out that one of my key leaders was the credit card fraud, like putting personal charges on their credit card, like within... 24 hours of that prayer being prayed, it was like by happenstance, all the stuff just bubbled up and was exposed. So he answers it. Like yes. the scripture says, Amen. when two or more agree, one can put a thousand to flight, but two can put 10,000 to flight. So when we agree in prayer 
as touching anything. It happens. So it moves and, and he goes before us like a breaker. You know how those ships go yeah. up in the ice, they break the ice? And he does that on our behalf. Um, yeah. When you defer to him and give him permission to be that for you in yeah. your business. Yeah. yeah. So one practical thing is some companies we've talked to have, in response to exactly the challenge you had, which is these mandatory meetings. Mm-hmm. So some of them will say, we'll continue to pray. The mandatory meeting is at 11 o'clock. But we're going to be in here if you want to join us yeah. at 10.55 and we've thought or thought about on. doing that, yeah. So what we do right now is we're doing experimentation in story. So we're having these story events in our home where eight employees mm. tell an eight-minute story. Mm. And something happens in the hearts. And we just mm. did this for all the top execs of the chairman of the board of one of the top networks in the world. And we did it at scale. 200 of his direct reports of the chairman of the board. Um, we had them all each tell a personal story. Wow. And something happens, and I don't know how to reconcile it with what happens in the scriptures versus what happens when people aren't even telling stories that have anything to do with faith. But something, some bond, our hearts and our brains connect in a way that's very, very special. So what we're doing is we're we're hosting these events so we can actually reconnect at a very deep heart level. Mm-hmm. So for about five years, we've done an event here called Speak Up, where each employee can share a personal story without judgment. Like the very first story of the very first time we ever did it, one of my gals here was the original Navy SEAL, like G.I. Jane kind of thing. Wow. And she actually told the story about what it felt like for the cold butt of a gun to run across her face as her husband tried to kill her, butted up against the wall, right? So she set kind of the tone, and everyone just goes there in almost like you would a confession or Mm -hmm. a story where it's like, suddenly I understand you, suddenly I accommodate your day that you're having that might be bad because I know your story. I know, yeah. I know your, quote, testimony. And so we've been doing that for about eight years, and now it's becoming this beautiful device to connect with each other in a way that feels like church, but it's not church. And we don't know where it's going, but we're doing just all kinds of experimentation around it. And I love that. Really what beautiful. a great service for a company. It's really beautiful. Being, as you look at that and understand that, as you equip people in your organization to better tell their story, right. people act presumably more like a family and understand each other and have that empathy thing you're talking about. And I think a lot of people maybe on this podcast have an origin story, right? I started this business. It's like blah, blah, blah. If you're not the one that has the origin story, then like you need to have a calling story. So everyone should have a story and the origin story should be beautiful because it should make people want to get up out of bed, put their feet on the floor and come to your office instead of LinkedIn or Microsoft, all these other Apple, all these competing businesses we have. I want my employees to have their feet hit the ground and want to be here so i have to infuse it with more meaning we have to have more meaning we have to have more things to offer we have to have a more winsome workplace we have to have a stronger culture we have to have a place where people belong and if especially as a christian i can't offer that then i have failed right and so everyone needs to have a set of stories that creates meaning and longing so that people want to be connected and that's what we've done so yeah. I really, try to do. We also fail. Yeah. <laughs> I've made a ton of I think that's in the scripture somewhere too. Failing. I think that happens. Switching gears a little bit, I'm interested because these stories seem to all Nehemiah and these others, right? I mean they're they're serving God. They're serving a greater purpose. And what you just said was as a Christian, we should be able to offer something yeah. else. And a concept I've heard you talk about before is really giving your business over to God yeah. and letting him it's his business. He, yeah. he owns it. And so you're in more of a stewardship role yeah. than an ownership role. I'd mm-hmm. love to hear you talk about how that's played out here and yeah. how you even made that decision. And for our listeners who may be thinking, well, I'm, I'm not sure if that's even right. I don't know if that is true or not. <laughs> Just how you think about that. Yeah. 
I think, I don't know, I, my, my husband and I both became Christians pretty young. We were both 16 at the time. And I think we both somehow knew or were given the scripture about tithing. So we've given 10% of everything now for a zillion years because we're ancient. And I think <laughs> that we've had situations where when we were really young and very poor, you could reconcile your whole budget and you should have fallen $14 behind every month. You couldn't even, you know, I was making $3.25 an hour. You know, if you only had yeah. a finite amount and we would give that last bit, you know, it was the widow's mite at that time, but we always gave. And then sure enough, within a couple of days, some mystery check showed up in the mail we weren't expecting, right? So it's always been like give, give. And my husband always says, we have a shovel, but God's shovel's always bigger, right? He gives back. <laughs> you cast your bread on the water and it comes back. And I think as an entrepreneur specifically, we are always tested between God or money, God or money, God or money. Like my own son now is an entrepreneur and he's like, whoa, the taxes, right? Yeah. And it's like the scripture says, render to Caesar what is Caesar's, render to God what is God. You cheat on your taxes, your business could be destroyed. You don't turn in that one sales tax amount, God knows it. Mm. And I would hate for you to lose your business. So consider the government as your 50-50 partner and render to Caesar what is Caesar and to God what is God's. And just be honest and truthful in all your dealings yeah. and you'll be blessed, right? So you're tested all the time. Do you want to sneak this by? We sleep like babies when the auditors call. It's like, okay, no big deal. You know, you just, you make decisions every day, every day. And you have to choose God every time. So I don't know where you want to go with that, but yeah, you're tested all the time about money. And you can make it, you could, you could fail the test and still make money, but it'll never bring you joy. Yeah. yeah. So one of the things we'd like to do as we explore on this podcast is how does somebody's faith and their relationship with God impact the way they look at business mm -hmm. and the way that they look and feel God's love for themselves? Mm -hmm. Another thing that we explore a little bit is what does it look like with a faith and being out there in the community? When is it appropriate to share the reason for the hope we have? And how does that look? Presumably, every client interaction you have, mm -hmm. your faith doesn't come out. But are there ever a time, since you've worked with so many influential people, mm -hmm. is there ever a time where your faith comes out and they end up seeing your why story a little bit? I don't know. I think it happens kind of a lot. I feel like my life isn't compartmentalized. I'm the same mm -hmm. at home as I am at work, as mm -hmm. I would be at church. I don't feel like it's any different anywhere. And I actually believe there's that scripture in Malachi that said, like, he listened into your conversation and received it as a prayer. So I actually think no matter who I'm conversing with, if it's when something beautiful, God can receive it as a prayer. Um, all my books are written. I mean, if you're a Christian, you might see the subtext. If you're not, you would just think it was philosophically beautiful, right? But I was just talking to someone this weekend, and she goes, oh, I could tell. I could see your faith almost on every page. But it just depends. So in every talk I give, in my conversations with employees, I refer to either scriptures or sacred texts or adages or proverbs. Yeah. Mark just rewrote all of our values in proverb form, and we call them leadership proverbs. And yeah. So we use the language scripturally that we're going to be doing another story night, they're called, at my house. And the prompt is, I believe in and you have to bring a story of something that made you believe. It could be, I believe in veganism. It could be, I believe in God. It could be, I believe in whatever. But we wanted to just have open conversations of where beliefs come from yeah. and a story associated with why you believe the way you do. So I don't know. I That's a hard one because it kind of just is. Like, I let a gal go on Friday. I had to let her go, and I wept with her. We hugged. Um, I told her she would be in my prayers, and she had my blessings. But I fired her on Friday, yeah. right? So yeah. it's like very, um, uh, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it because I, I 
it's who you are. Yeah, it, yeah. It part, isn't like it isn't like it gets turned on and then turned off. It yeah. just is. Yeah. Um, I haven't had anyone quit because of it. At least they didn't put that in their exit interview. <laughs> right. Um, but we've had you know atheist clubs and atheist had, clubs. Tell us about that. Um, so when when Mark used to pray um, publicly, you know, there's 80 employees, and so the atheist club would meet after they would set a timer and they would figure out how yeah. long he prayed for <laughs> and then they would calculate they would send an email around to calculate the math of how much revenue the company lost during the prayer <laughs> <Yeah>. time <laughs> but it was this kind of ins- it was incited by a guy who couldn't believe that there was a god who would self-proclaim himself as a cannibal because he wanted us to eat his body and drink his wine sure and so he set up a club that worshipped the flying spaghetti monster which is you guys familiar with that? Yes. And so he set up a whole club and, and all of that. And it got exposed. And my president at the time, he was so worried that we would be hurt. Marty would devastate us. I'm like, nah. Like, he was like, why are you not hurt? I said, if they had attacked my character, I would have a terrible time with it. But they attacked our faith. And when somebody attacks your faith, you get little, you get little jewels in your crown. So we're great. Like, being persecuted is awesome. But if they attacked my character, I would have wept and repented but they didn't. They attacked my faith. Well, you know, you've created this culture where storytelling and then also encouraging people to talk about why they do what they do is mm-hmm. so encouraged. Mm-hmm. And so we've never heard of an atheist club at any organization. Oh, really? No, I don't think they're very Well, they thought about. it would hurt our feelings. And when we heard about it, we're like, oh my God, we were persecuted. That's so exciting. <laughs> it doesn't happen all the time. We're like, it didn't hurt. It didn't hurt. Yeah. You know, we were just like, yeah. So I don't know. So I bet you, I bet because of that, you were able to uh, love on them in a way that they hadn't expected. Exactly. Our reaction was profound. Yeah. 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 Super cool. Uh, Tell us about uh, a time if there's, and this is a little bit of a leading question because we listened to some podcasts before coming to visit you, Mm -hmm. but tell us about a time where your faith helped you to love on maybe a customer in a way that... Maybe it been a little different than the way most people would have handled a business circumstance. Oh, okay. Yeah, one of our values here is um, value reputation over revenue. It's from mm-hmm. the scripture that says, good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. Mm-hmm. And so we will always protect our name. And there's been ebbs and flows. We've had opportunities to forgive family members of debt and do a whole lot of things. And we've had some crazy stories when the Lord will challenge you if your fist is around the money, not that whole uh, mammon over God, you know, who you choose. Because we've also had a company that would from the outside look like it failed, but it didn't. And it was a test of our faith in money or God. So this particular story I think you're referencing is when the dot-com crash happened everything was failing like everything was just tanking 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 and we'd done work with a couple of dot coms and one of them um wanted to stay in business right and i held all the cards so i knew everyone else had been working on the account and there were five of us you need five vendors to file and then you can throw them into bankruptcy so i asked everybody i knew christian non-christian mostly christians like is throwing a company into bankruptcy suing your brother like i don't want to sue and they're like well to the Bay Area, high probability the guy's not a brother anyway. You know, yeah, it's like a badge of honor on their sleeve. Bankruptcies are no big deal. They'll be able to become a CEO again. Just go for it. Like everyone's like, yeah, of course, just throw them into bankruptcy. That's the right thing to do. But Mark and I, you know how when you're making a decision, you know what's wrong. It feels like static mm-hmm. electricity in your yeah. heart. And you're like, this isn't right, this isn't right, this isn't right. And at the time we had a, a corporate chaplain and we called him. 
and everyone's saying, yeah, just do it. I'd already done two calls. I hadn't hired the lawyer yet, but all the vendors are gathered. And we call the corporate chaplain and he says, uh, Nancy, uh, have you not been forgiven hell and death? How much is this debt in relation to that? It was $354,000, which was a couple months payroll back then. Not small. Yeah. And so we knew immediately, Mark and I knew immediately to just to let it go. We were so happy because we knew it was right. Like it just clicked. You know how that is? It's like, I was believing this lie and now I know this is the truth. We actually walked, our office was right near a little park and we walked over and we danced together. We just danced, we held hands, we got in a circle, we danced because we knew it was the right thing to do. So I got on the phone with the guy. There's a whole nother story about his dad having a dream that involved $354,000, which was crazy. But I won't get into that because I don't want to spook the audience. But anyway, <laughs> we, um, it was the most crazy season. Anyway, we knew it was right. We were both crying. I said, I just got to call him. And he's a famous VC now. And I called him and I was like, hey, so-and-so that has an acronym for a name. I want to tell you a story. I'm going to not pursue this because I believe in the teachings of Jesus. And I've been forgiven a lot and I can't hold this against you anymore. So I want to release this debt from you. But I ask one thing, if you ever have someone's head over a barrel financially, I want you to remember this moment and set them free like I've just done for you. Hmm. And he starts to cry on the other line. And he said, oh my gosh, my father-in-law brought me to, brought me to Christ six months ago. And I didn't know that people live their lives like this or run their businesses like this. I didn't even know you could integrate your faith into work like this. And he was all excited, so he'd never be the same. You know, that's what they all say. Yeah. <laughs> so every few years, he says, well, they're still not the same. He and his wife kind of changed what they do, changed their focus. And it was a real kind of an inciting incident in his life. For us, it was like, ah, $354,000. It was a lot for us. But the moral of the story is your business is barreling, it's barreling, it's barreling, it's tanking, right? We forgive this loan. The day we would have written payroll out of the equity in our house, everything turned around. And it happened to coincide with the forgiving of this loan. Mark and I know that we know that we know that if we had not made that decision, we wouldn't be sitting here right now. We know that our business would not have recovered. The Lord was in control. I chose God instead of mammon. And the business bounced that day and recovered. That's that's incredible. Incredible story. We're we're getting towards the end of our time. Mm -hmm. I have one more question from my end. I'm I'm hearing these stories. It's just so inspiring to hear sort of how you've let God lead your company and lead your marriage and between you and Mark. It's just, I'm interested in kind of a little counter, which is, could you maybe tell us a time when you felt God leading you one way and maybe you didn't go that direction? I've heard you talk before about how entrepreneurs telling the stories of things that gone wrong, how it's so helpful and it makes them human and it makes uh, their employees, everyone know that yeah. You know, they don't have it all under control either. I'm just wondering if you have any of those of, you know, maybe a time where it didn't go quite right. Mm-hmm. But, you know, obviously yeah. God's a, a God of forgiveness. Yeah. And so he's always there waiting with that hand as well. Yeah. And I, I mean, we're not perfect. My gosh. And we've made mistakes. Or the bigger thing is um, we're an entrepreneur. So we think everything's doable. And then mm-hmm. you get in it and it's harder than you ever dreamed. And I think there's been seasons. We were in a place, an actual building that... I swear, we thought something was so wrong with it, we hired a historian to see if there had been some sort of massacre on the property. Oh, wow. <laughs> Everything that could happen been broken into six times, ceilings caving in, like just, I mean, some of the craziest, unexplainable things happened there. And so there's just seasons that we go through that are just almost unbearable and seasons that we go through that aren't. 
we had a recent thing happen that was caused by us. And that doesn't happen that often. In fact, a lot of our friends supported us in this decision because they knew that we had a long history of making the right decisions. Mm -hmm. And so we made this decision, got about a week in, and it was like our transmission fell out of our car. Mm. And we had to keep asking ourselves, like, why did we go this far in with this decision when it was the wrong one? And in reality, it really was the right decision to make at the time because God needed our engine to fall out. <laughs> Interesting. And if all these things hadn't happened where it led to this day, Mark and I were feeling a bit like, oh, we need to be separate from the company. This company now is at a scale and it would impact a lot of lives if this company remained our vehicle for ministry because that's what this is. It's our vehicle for ministry. And we kept feeling like, oh, we need to turn it into this other thing and uh, start a different vehicle for our ministry. And God was jealous. God was jealous of the company. He wanted to stay the CEO. We didn't understand that and so we made a decision and then we had to completely back out very visible so I, as I change and grow as a leader and I make decisions and fail I own it in front of the whole company and Mark and I because I have a different energy I have this really like ah, spazzy like, ah, that, that energy actually my leadership team asked that Mark be the one to stand up to explain the journey that just happened because it looked like I was like oh I, I, I'm not supposed to be the leader I stood up and told my company I've hired someone that's a better leader I'm not supposed to be a leader anymore and we made a decision to bring in a different leader. And so when Mark stood up and delivered it the way he delivers it in this very calm, peaceful way, yeah. people were crying, people were moved, and people were thrilled that we were kind of back in the seat again. And so that was probably one of the riskiest things we had done with our hearts, I would say. It wasn't even a risky thing for the business. It maybe would have been a financially beneficial thing for the business, but it was a risky thing because God runs this company. Hmm. We don't. We just ask him what he wants us to do, and we just obey every day and so it, it put that relationship at risk by putting a different leader in the mix and we learned our lesson well and we both are like back and my girlfriend Wendy says back in the catbird seat which is a southern idiom which means a seat yeah. of great advantage and so now we're just open and we're getting ideas of how to scale in unique ways and bring more messages and one of our values is to be generous experts so how do we give more and more and more away to help more lives so yeah. that was kind of a, a story spoken in code <laughs> well you've but, done you've so done that today you've been very generous with your time you both have and William and I are both very grateful thank well you. I really enjoyed the conversation thank you yeah, extremely grateful the one uh, last thing I just want to point out is very grateful to just sort of hammer in again that they practice what they preach. Mark has been here quietly praying for this podcast mm -hmm. and what is going to be said and the listeners that are going to be impacted. And that's just so powerful to know that his presence is here and that the Lord's presence is here. And just want to give people that image mm -hmm. uh, that can't feel it in the room mm -hmm. or can't hear it on the podcast of sort of someone sitting here praying for half an hour, 45 minutes as we speak over everything. And that intercessory prayer is so important. It's super important. And we have a whole intercessory team network, like it's like concentric circles, and we can deploy them to pray for us at any given time. And that's a really wise thing um, to do when you're at a points of decision making. And my husband is a man of prayer, godliest man I know supports me and supports the business in a way that's invisible and immeasurable, but is one of the reasons we see the results for you. Thank you so much for joining us on the Faith Driven Entrepreneur podcast. Please go to faithdrivenentrepreneur.org and let us know if you have any questions, any of those tough ones that you'd like us to tackle. If you have any videos, articles, sermons, or podcasts that have been helpful to you on your journey, we'd love to see them too. Just send them our way. Lastly, if this podcast has been an encouragement to you in any way, we'd appreciate you commenting, sharing it with others, and subscribing. 
This podcast would not be possible without help from many of our friends. Music by Carl Cadwell. You can see more of his work at summerdregs.com. Audio by Richard Barley of Cornerstone Church in San Francisco. And editing by Johnny Shearer.